Welcome to the Sum of It All Bad at Math podcast. I'm Audrey Mendeville, along with my colleague Mark Alcorn from the San Diego County Office of Education. And this season, we're exploring the book Bad at Math, Dismantling Harmful Beliefs that Hinder Equitable Mathematics Education by Lydia Gonzalez. Transcripts to our podcast are always available for you in the episode notes on your favorite platform. This week, we're chatting about chapter two, Beyond Numbers and Equations, What is Mathematics? And I just love the opening of this chapter uh, Lydia offers. She goes, for so many, the answer revolves around numbers, computations, and equations. But then she says, when you have a few errands to run and you set out to determine the route to complete them in so that you don't double back or pass the same place twice, Hmm. you're doing math. Um, And she invites us to explore this idea of graph theory, which is the kind of math that that is about. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's super interesting that like, even when we talk to folks and we say like, you do math every day, they're like, yes, I calculate the percentages. Like it always goes back to computation numbers and equations, right? right? And Uh very few people are like, yeah, you're right. I planned out my route to work today so I could pass the gas station and the grocery store without doubling back, right? Um, So I think that's super interesting, don't you, Mark? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, uh, even like packing the car, right? Spatial reasoning. There it is. Yep, exactly. So also super interesting in this very opening section, she has this quote, um, she says from Keith Devlin, and she says, Devlin notes that most of the mathematics used today was developed in the last 200 years, but virtually none of what is taught is even from the last 300 years. Is that crazy? Yeah. I like I read that quote like three times trying to make sense of it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, are you saying that we're not even we're like centuries behind, centuries <laughs> behind what we're teaching in our classes? And so I really think it's super interesting that you know she kind of sets the stage for this chapter around like what are we doing to change that? Because if all the mathematics we're teaching in TK12 is that behind the times, what are yeah. we doing to fix it? Right. Right. Um, and right off the bat, she mentions one idea, which is uh, mathematics circles. And I just love this idea. What did you think of it, Mark? Yeah, well, I, I thought it was it was a great example. And, you know, we've we've experienced some math circles here in our community uh, here in San Diego. And um, I have to say in reading uh, on page 38 about the math circle example she had, I have to say, Audrey, I wanted to sign up for it. Mm-hmm. Like I was like put me down for this math circle. It sounded so interesting. Uh, they they did it at the college level. And you know what I thought was really uh, helpful is they had these two purposes of the example that they had. And one of the purposes was they to introduce varied mathematical topics to challenge the traditional views of mathematics and how it's defined. So I just like how they had, you know, there's lots of great outcomes of doing math circles, doing math with people, but I like to have that that really important outcome. And then the second outcome, which I also really appreciated, was challenging perceptions of who can and does excel in mathematics. Um, another really interesting thing that they did, um, because when they set up this particular uh, math circle, they introduced they they had speakers come to the math circles. And the mass circles they invite the, the speakers they invited to the mass circles were almost exclusively women. And I thought that this was a really interesting way to, to work to impact how these college students viewed mathematics and also attempting to lessen the stereotypes of who can do mathematics. Yeah. 
I, I really love that. I love their intentional design with that. You know, I just, I can't get over the fact that when you think about this, how few current classroom teachers, TK-12 teachers, would have ever experienced current mathematics. Mm. Like when you think of that gap, the 200, 300 years, yeah. yeah. like it's no wonder none of our students are experiencing current mathematics because our teachers haven't experienced it. And so how do we change that? We need to rethink how we're engaging as educators and learning about what mathematics is today, not what mathematics was 300 years ago or longer, <laughs> but like what it is today. Um, and, and so I just, I think that's a really interesting space. I also think like my moment of pause as I say that is I can just imagine like our current practices is to say like, then let's do a really fun math activity in this cool like cryptography. Like we're going to do the one activity. And um, and I I think people, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know, I'm a huge fan of analogies and uh, Cordelia McGee Tubbs, who does a lot of work around accessibility. She once said, um, she was describing this. She goes, if you're baking muffins and you go to pull them out of the oven and realize, whoops, I forgot to add blueberries. And so you just pile blueberries on top of them in the end, you can't actually call what you made a blueberry muffin, right? And she's doing that in the context of accessibility. And I think it's a great reminder, just shout out to accessibility tools. Like designing with accessibility is different than at the end of your design saying, here's a tool for accessibility. One is inherent and it is the blueberry muffin. And the other one is the blueberries on top of a plain muffin. And so she talks about that. I think within the context of our chapter, sorry for the long analogy friends, but like, <laughs> I think a lot of times with mathematics, we are giving them this plain muffin and we're throwing on a little bit of blueberry on top mm. and telling them and trying to sell them for like, it's a blueberry muffin. Yeah. And so I think we have to really think about how we fundamentally think about mathematics differently. Mm. And we don't keep producing this bland muffin, but we really integrate the wonderful textures and tastes and sounds or whatever you would describe it without the analogy, I'll stop there um, in mathematics. So I think we have to come to grips with the fact that we have a very, very warped view of mathematics. Yeah, that's that's a great point, Audrey. And you know, as we're examining this chapter, of course, like the thing we're trying to do is like, you know, we've got this 200, 300 year thing that you've been describing. It's like, so what do we, what do we do about right. any of this? Like, how do we come up with some practical things? Cause we can get a little bit overwhelmed by sort of like, I'm not in control of that, mm -hmm. <laughs> but there are some things we can do. And, and on page 50, there's, there's a bunch of bullets that, that mention some possible suggestions. And the last one, Audrey really, uh, resonated with me. And it made me, uh, remember some things that I did when I was a coach, uh, with some of the work that we were doing with curriculum and you know it 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 suggests reordering your curriculum to expose students to geometry probability and statistics earlier in the year um as you know many of our math books are set up so that those are things that happened at, happen at the end of the year at the end of the math book and sometimes they don't happen at all um but you know when i was thinking about this audrey i'm, I'm thinking about your blueberries example mm -hmm. is that the thing about that is that we have to be I think we have to be realistic that that will not necessarily change everybody's view of mathematics. Just because we put geometry at the front and we say, oh, we're going to do something really fun. We're going to do geometry. If we don't sort of like make sure that that's something that kids really think that mathematics includes geometry and it's really a, we're broadening that view of mathematics, then 
I think we may just be moving deck chairs around um, instead, right? Yeah, putting the blueberries on top. Exactly. It's exactly what I'm talking about, Mark. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so, uh, you know, one of the headings uh, in the book on page 38, Audrey, I don't know if you noticed this, is called How Do Students View Mathematics? And that, that includes that section about uh, the math circles. And, you know, that almost exact same question Tracy Zager explores in her text, becoming the math teacher that you wish mm -hmm. you'd had. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was kind of a cool connection of how, like thinking about like, how do people view what mathematics is, right? Yeah, I love that. And, you know, as I'm thinking about that though, Audrey, is, isn't it interesting? Let's go back to the math circles for a second. Isn't it interesting how in that experience that they put together, which I was such a fan of, like I told you, I want to sign up, right? Mm -hmm. um, but only a couple of students changed how they viewed mathematics in that study. Yeah, I thought that was that was really you know it's kind of like when you're reading something you're like waiting to get to the end and you're like oh that's kind of a bummer ending <laughs> like only a couple people changed. Um, and I think back to when I was in a math methods course uh, as a graduate student, maybe not as an undergrad student, but as a graduate student, and. I'd have to say that experience in the next couple of years after that in some similar experiences definitely shifted things for me about how I viewed mathematics. But now, you know, what I'm thinking, though, Audrey, is I'm thinking, like, was I one of those only two people mm. that from my methods course that had that shift? Um, boy, as I'm reading this example, I, I I don't know. I might be getting depressed. No, well. <laughs> I have, an, I have another analogy for this because I'm just going to do analogies today, but um, it's about Santa Claus. So if you're listening with children and you uh -oh. don't want to talk about Santa Claus with kids in the room, um, this might not be appropriate for children. So I'm just going to draw that out a little longer so you can push pause, <laughs> listen to it when the kids aren't listening, mine are not in the room with me. Um, so like I think about how people believe in Santa Claus at some point in their life and then they start to not believe in Santa Claus. And I think for some people, they see something that finally they're just like, that is, there's no Santa, right? Like they see their parents putting a present under the tree that says it's from Santa. And they're like, there's no Santa Claus, you know, he doesn't exist. And there's others that it takes like experience after experience after experience to kind of wear them into a space where all of a sudden they just realize one day they no longer believe. They're like, you know, they go through all the, the logic of it and they work through it. And eventually they're just like, yeah, I don't think I believe anymore. And I think our beliefs are complicated that like, mm. like two people can see the exact same set of parents putting a present on a tree that says from Santa and one has an immediate change of like beliefs and the other one, it's just one of those grains of sand or straws on the camelback, right? Like it's just one more thing that's maybe heading them towards a belief change. Mm. And I, I just think like we would like to think in education when we're trying to do belief work with folks and change beliefs around in this example, around what math is that yeah. we could just give that yeah. example. That's going right. to like, in that moment, you're going to have a change yeah. of heart. You're going to be like that. I no longer believe this to be true. Mathematics is so much more. Right. Yeah. But for most people, it is like a process of having mm -hmm. experience after experience after experience. And at some point they're going to look up and say, you know, math is more than just counting and equations, right? And so I, I really think that belief work is messy in that because yeah. two of us could have the exact same experience. True. Yeah. If you're describing these folks in the math circle, um, 
And for one or two of them, it is like life-changing. I don't believe this anymore. And for others, it is just one more experience, hopefully on their journey towards expanding their beliefs around mathematics. So it's messy work. And I guess the encouragement is, is like, even when it's hard, like it would be so much nicer to be like, I was the person who helped them realize math is so much more, right? You have to remember that like each of the things we we do and experiences we offer folks that helps them on that journey is part of what's necessary to get them to a better space. So I guess that's a long journey. Okay. Kids are invited back to the conversation if you want to. <laughs> right. <Okay. yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I appreciate that analogy, Audrey. You you have great analogies and, and uh, very fitting for this example. And, but now you're making me think though, Audrey, is mm-hmm. I'm going back to the mass circles, right? Mm-hmm. Remember, in the mass circles, they've invited primarily women as the speakers as they shared uh, what they did around mathematics. That was not something that was typical of K-12 or even uh, undergrad mathematics. And they shared that part. So I'm wondering if by highlighting the work of so many women, I'm wondering if that maybe did shift their beliefs around who does mathematics and who's capable of do, doing mathematics. I, I realize that it didn't shift their beliefs about what mathematics is, but I'm super curious to know if some of those stereotypes might've been broken. I think that's a great example, Mark. And I just, I just think like the other alternative is that they've never seen women do mathematics, right? Mm-hmm. So the alternative is no example or some example. You got to think that some example is going to start changing folks' beliefs, whether it's that instantaneous or it's progressing towards it. I, I think it has to matter. Really yeah, yeah, I, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, Audrey, on, on page 40, there was an inset there that um, I, I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, it reminded me some of the Dear Math work that we've talked about before, and there's some prompts around getting students to talk about mathematics and their experience with it. And, and the reason I want to bring it out to our listeners, because I thought it was a really great way of thinking about formative data to collect from, from your students. Uh, There were three prompts. The best thing about math is, the worst thing about math is, and learning math is like, and you completing each of those prompts. What was cool is the author included some different things of different ways of thinking about like, as you are examining the data from your students, as you collect those those ways that they're answering those prompts, um, the author included things like, do they point to stereotypical views of mathematics? or mathematicians. And so like when I read through their responses, do do I see these stereotypes around mathematicians? Kind of like what we were just talking about. And then she has a, a couple suggestions about how you could de- bring in some things in your classrooms to counter those stereotypes. Another question was, do they point to negative views of mathematics? And then thinking of some ways that you can bring in other types of problems to counter that, um, that negative. And if their answers are full of creativity and positive views, well, maybe you could spread some of those things out into the space of the classroom, like read some of those aloud, post some of those. So Audrey, I just, I felt like that was kind of a nice way to think about, like a lot of times we have these suggestions of what we should do with students, like prompts we should give and so forth. I thought that was really nice about like, once you've given the prompts and you collect that data, like what might you do with it in terms of like moving your whole class forward. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up, Mark. Um, because even even just the way it's written there, there's so much hidden in that paragraph. And I think if you don't take time to kind of think through each of those pieces, you miss so many really interesting ideas there. It reminds me so much of our last season around street data as well. And this idea of how do we 
listen to our students? How do we collect the street data, the data that's of our students, by our students, from our students? Like, how do we use that and talk um, to do something with? So like, there's the two aspects, the listening. And then as we discussed tons in season 10, doing something based on what you listen to it. And so I really appreciate that uh, the author has provided kind of both of those pieces for us in this little inset, as you called it on page 40, where here's some prompts you can ask, spend time and listen, and then think about what you heard and what's your response based on what you heard. So I just, I thought that was connection. That connection was just lovely. Yeah. I, I, I love how you connected that to, to street data, Audrey. And I just think that's a real practical way for our listeners to take some of this work that we're talking about and, countering that whole business around 200 years or 300 years, there's really some things that we really can do. Um, uh, one other thing that I wanted to bring out, Audrey, is that in, in the chapter, uh, the author was talking about, you know, the idea of math is constantly growing and evolving. Um, I think uh, last episode I said, is math alive or dead? You know, it's just this idea that it's, it's a living um, content area. Um, and as as someone who taught elementary school for a long time, I'm always thinking about that sort of multiple content area lens, right? And one thing I thought about is that as I'm thinking about teaching science and science is an area that is really in need of much attention in elementary school. Uh, we, we have uh, really uh, a need for more elementary science to be taught. Um, but you know what I thought about with that though, Audrey, is that in the, if we look at science from the viewpoint of many educators, I think that people look at science as something that is evolving and growing. Um, but I'm not sure that's true of mathematics among many of us as educators. So I thought that it was interesting how, even though elementary science is not getting uh, the seat at the table that it needs, um, I still think it's curious that even so, we still have a more accurate view, perhaps, of science in it being something that is evolving. But mathematics is just still that static view. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, you know. And so, and so, how do we, how do we share that it's not static? Mm. Um, you know, last mm. time we shared a TikTok video of graduate uh, students who talk about the mathematics that they're studying. Um, in that video, there's a, um, a map of mathematics, which we'll post in show notes for today's episode. Um, but like when you look at it and you see that mathematics is made up of fields like uh, cryptography and game theory and mathematical chemistry and biomathematics and chaos theory and topology, like none of those are algebra. Right, <laughs> or equi- right. right? Like, um, right. and you know, I know that we keep going back to this idea that math is not a ladder. It's a web. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Do they use equations in some of those? Sure. But like, you don't have to learn years and years and years of algebra in order to learn cryptography. So I just think it's super interesting that we, we kind of hold mathematics, um, you know, the pieces of mathematics that are algebra and counting and equations, like as, as if they are the largest piece of the pie or the largest piece of this map, if you look at the map. And if you check out this map, you were going to see that the connections to algebra, the connections to computation are very, very small in comparison to the rest of the field. And so I just think, I think we need to continue to find ways to explore that, both like recognize it and then like, how do we give our students experiences in those other spaces? 
Yeah, we need better advertising. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, we've got some really bad, inaccurate advertising going on, right? Yeah. Um, Audrey, I've not seen this map before. Uh, thanks for sharing it. Please check it out in the show notes. It's super interesting. Most of the names and titles were familiar to me, but I never seen them all in one place for a map. So thanks. That's yeah, great. yeah. So one of them that's on there on the map and in this text uh, in this chapter is discrete math. And um, you know she does a great job at describing what the course could look like. And you know I, I, that's a trend. You know what we're seeing in California is mm -hmm. um, you know there are some fourth course writing. There were some courses written for um, seniors in high school to take after they take kind of that general algebra, geometry, algebra two, or the integrated math one two three sequence. Like, what do they do next if there's not a gap year before whatever is beyond high school for them? And discrete math is one of the ones that was designed. It was designed in partnership between uh, uh, high schools and universities. And they wrote a course that's now approved in California. We call it A through G approved. That uh, means it's, it, it's aligned to what our universities expect here in California. Um, and so that's a course that anyone in the state could teach and there's professional development that goes along with it if you need it or supports for that. Um, and it's very much aligned to what, you know, the author's describing in this chapter. So we're seeing more and more schools take that on as like, Hey, would you like to take this course in high school and experience it in high school? And again, I'm just going to go back to blueberry muffins. Like if three years of high school is baking that plain muffin and then some kids get blueberries sprinkled on top in the fourth year, right? They're yeah. not going to still think it's a blueberry muffin. So yeah. it's one, it's not all, but it's like one example of taking some steps forward and toward towards broadening that view of mathematics for our students. Yeah, that, that's a good point, Audrey. And I'm thinking about with our youngest learners, you know, there's a lot of talk around data science and mm -hmm. other types of ways of, again, broadening a more true view of mathematics. Um, and one of the things I keep wondering about is like how we make the mathematics that our students are studying, make it, make it authentic to them. Um, you know, whether we're looking at data or whatever we might be doing, but uh, sometimes I think that um, we can be, we have to be careful about sort of running down that road of like ending up with pizza, video games, and ice cream, mm. <laughs> or, you know, you could add a few more things to that <laughs> yeah. list and probably switch it for secondary. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's really important for us to think about like, how do we connect to students' identity and what really matters to them? And, and how do we allow them to ask the questions that they're curious about and allow those to be the guides for their pursuit of um, answers and how mathematics can help them along the way? Yeah, I love that. You know, speaking of which, I saw a resource that I never heard of. Someone introduced me to a resource today um, called Dear Data, um, which is about these two <laughs> information mm -hmm. designers, I guess. Who yeah lived one in the US and one in um, in England, and they sent postcards back and forth to each other um, with different data representations. And not only are the data representations beautiful, um, because they are not what you think of as like a, as I'm saying data representation, I'm guessing that most of us are thinking bar graphs and data right. plots, right? And yes, like points yes. and histograms, histogram, none of like, when you <laughs> see these pictures, I will link it also like they look nothing like that. Um, super artistic and interesting. But on top of that, like what they're studying, so I appreciate this connection you're making, Mark, is like one of them was like, 
what clocks they look at when they want to check time. Are they looking at their watch on their hand or their phone or the clock on a friend's oven or the wall clock in the classroom? Like, and they're just, they capture it as data points, but in a really yeah. beautiful way, or, um, you know, maybe what kinds of complaints they heard complaints about the food complaints about the weather, whatever, you know, like things like when you talk about stuff, when you brought in for our kids that you can capture data yeah. and think about mathematics, in those spaces, all of a sudden, it's not about pizza and video games and ice cream anymore. Because mm-hmm. kids right. notice all kinds of yeah. things, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that my kids kept track of like the color of shirt I wore to work. But I remember what? one day, like a class was like, you wore purple, you never wear purple. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you were paying attention. <laughs> like, so what would it have looked like if I had asked them what their data had looked like, right? Would it have looked right. as beautiful as some of these data charts that um, yeah. you see in this dear data? Anyways, yeah. another connection. How are we broadening that that's math? Um, I love it. Yeah. And, um, you know, Audrey, I know we're running out of time, but mm-hmm. like, I feel like we just, there's another example we can share because, you know, that very last section of the chapter is what can you do to challenge the belief that mathematics is just numbers and equations, like challenging that belief. And I have to say, Audrey, when I was reading this, these bullets, these suggestions, the work that we've done around play math mm. really just jumped into my head. And I just think that maybe we should share for those of our listeners that are not aware of the work we're doing around play math. I think we should share it with them. Yeah, yeah. I definitely had the same idea where I started starring things. I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> um, so I think in, it's in the bullets. There's a link for where you can check out Math on a Stick, which is Christopher Danielson's work out in the Minnesota State Fair. And I had this huge like regret of not being able to get out there because it happens at a time of year, um, Labor Day weekend, that's always really hard for us where we're at in California because most of our schools have, have just started. Mm-hmm. We're in full swing of work and it's really hard right. to take vacation and go out and see what it's about. So I was bent on trying to recreate it out here in California. And run into like lots of barriers. Um, state fairs are not the same thing here that they are in the Midwest. So that's one. Um, but Chris No and Molly Daly and Christopher Danielson were so kind and thinking through it with me and saying like, where are the spaces, especially in like Southern California and San Diego, that people hang out. And we realized that street fairs and festivals and farmers markets are these outdoor events that folks like love um, in California. And they spend lots of time at and um, so we said, what would it look like to bring math to that space? So we take a pop-up tent, like one of those canopies you might put up for a picnic, like the 10 by 10 feet ones. And we put out some tables and we put all kinds of things out on the tables for kids to play with. And we made a sign that said play math. And um, it's super <laughs> interesting, right, Mark? Yes, but it is. <laughs> we sometimes get people who come up and said, this isn't math, right? Um, right and there's some people who walk right by going, I'm not going to play math because like yes. that does not sound they fun. They walk until... a little faster, I've noticed. Yeah. <laughs> until their kid <laughs> sees something and they're like dragging them back into the booth to play yeah. with it. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I mean, we've had we've had kids that have spent hours mm-hmm. in the booth, haven't mm-hmm. we? Like we've had kids that have come to try something as a team. They go on to their street fair, come back. They come back and mess around with it some more. Um and it's just, it's been really exciting to watch. And, and Audrey, I can't help but think about what you were saying earlier in this episode about that could be one of those points of shifting their view, right? Mm-hmm. You were talking about it's not maybe just about one event, but what about if they go to this play math booth and they 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 
they tinker with something, they play around with something and, 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 and get somewhere with it. And that starts to, you know, change their view. Yeah. Yeah. I really think it's important and, you know, different than math nights or math festivals that tend to happen at our schools. We tend to, in those spaces, have math for folks that have specific instructions and guidance for how to play more like you would in a board game, even like there's rules for how to engage in it. And we were super curious about what Christopher Danielson had done where it said like, what if the thing itself is the provocation? Like you just leave it out and see what kids do with it, um, which is what happens with the pattern machines and the magnetiles and different things. And um, it's so different for kids to think that math is not someone telling you what to do, like a series of rules in a game. People see that as math still, that board game mentality that that's math. But when you all of a sudden take all the rules away and say, how would you play with this? this is still math. Um, I think that's another, like you said, expanding, breaking apart some of our, our beliefs and helping them to expand a little bit into the next space. So work that I hope we'll get to continue for a long time. Yeah, yeah, for sure, Audrey. And there's really interesting variations of it. Recently, I had heard a, another school district um, in the Los Angeles area actually doing some very interesting things where they had some families arriving to school early or leaving or coming to pick their kids up early. And they, and again, Audrey, they just put out some materials for families to play with. So not really a family math night, but just actually a, just a playtime for families to engage in things. And um, I just, I'm really excited about seeing where this, this can lead for us. Yeah, I love that. So whether like it's thinking about in the classroom or out of the classroom, whether it's thinking about it for students or teachers, I really appreciate the challenge of this chapter to really think about how are we gonna continue to work on expanding our notions of what mathematics is? Like, how do we take that on for ourselves, recognizing our own gaps in our own instruction and our experiences with that broader world of math um, that's out there? And then how are we doing that for our students too? Like, how are we providing those opportunities so that they're not just blueberries on the top of a plain <laughs> dull muffin? Blueberry muffins yes. for all friends, blueberry yes, muffins. Yes, yes, uh, well said, Audrey, <laughs> well said. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode. In our next episode, we will chat about chapter three, mathematicians and mathematicians in training, and continue to discuss how we dismantle harmful beliefs that hinder equitable mathematics education. Until then, best wishes on rewriting the story of math.